Chapter Six of Pearls by W. J. Dakin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. Chapter Six: A Ceylon Pearl Fishery. An account of a Ceylon pearl fishery will best serve as an example of the Oriental industry. The pearl fishery of this part of the world is probably of very great antiquity, and it was very likely carried on two thousand years ago in much the same way as at present. We have already seen how the Singalese records go back hundreds of years before the Christian era. Let us now look at one of the recent fisheries. The Ceylon fishery is and always has been an intermittent one. At the present date it does not exist at all. Records show that throughout the centuries there has been the same sequence of productive years and bad years. More recently the hand of science has been called upon to alter the stern decrees of nature, but the call seems to have come too late to stave off the present cessation of the industry. In the 19th century there were only 36 fisheries. Sometimes, after a few good years, there would be a long spell without any fishery. How long the present unproductive period will last, none can tell. Neither can one say yet what combination of circumstances will cause the replenishment of the submerged banks with pearl oysters, although we may guess at the causes of depletion. Herdman's visit to Ceylon in 1902 was after 12 years of unproductiveness, and it was just at a time when the banks were beginning to show signs of another fishery. The promise was fulfilled, and for some years there was a truly remarkable series of fisheries, fisheries of very great value to the controllers. In fact, as more than one writer has said, the pearl fishery is the greatest gamble of the world. From the very commencement to the end, the procedure is guarded and cared for by fickle fortune, and it requires very little knowledge of the East to appreciate the excited condition of the natives of Ceylon and even India, and more remote parts, during a fishery. In olden times it was rumor which collected the divers. They heard from afar that the harvest was ripe, and they came to the banks with zest to take part in the lottery. For some hundred years, however, the Gulf of Manar banks have been carefully examined every year by a government inspector, and the Ceylon government has decided whether they would be a fishery or not. The fishery takes place in February, March, or April, while the inspection was usually in November. The fact that a fishery is to be held is now made known by the newspapers, but probably passes just as quickly in the more ancient way from mouth to mouth until the whole of the Orient is informed of the fact. The advertisements in the newspapers are printed in Singalese, Tamil, and English. A notice of the fishery of 1905 is appended. Ceylon Pearl Fishery of 1905. Notice is hereby given that a pearl fishery will take place at Marich Chikadi in the island of Ceylon on or about February 20th, 1905. The banks to be fished are the southwest Cheval Par, which is estimated to contain 3.5 million oysters, sufficient to employ 200 boats for two days with average loads of 10,000 each day. The Mideast Cheval Par, estimated to contain 13.75 million oysters, sufficient to employ 200 boats seven days with average loads of 10,000 each day. The north and south Motoragam, with 25.7 million oysters, sufficient to employ 200 boats for 13 days with average loads of 10,000 each day. The South Cheval Par, estimated to contain 40.22 million oysters, sufficient to employ 200 boats for 20 days with average loads of 10,000 each day, each boat being fully manned by divers. 2. It is notified that fishing will begin on the first favorable day after February 19. Boat owners and divers should be at Merich Chikadi by February 16. 3. Merich Chikadi is on the mainland, 8 miles by sea south of 
Silvature, and supplies of good water and provisions can be obtained there. 4. The fishery will be conducted, on account of government, and the oysters put up to sale in such lots as may be deemed expedient. 5. The arrangements of the fishery will be the same as have been usual on similar occasions. Persons attending the fishery camp from India will be permitted to travel to Ceylon by either of the following routes. 1. Tutukorin to Colombo, or 2. Palmben to Merch Chikadi, and by no other. Arrangements will be made, as at the last fishery, for travellers to proceed from Palmbem direct to the camp. The only restriction imposed on travellers by the Palmbem route will be inspection by the medical officer at Palmben. 6. Drafts on the banks in Colombo, or bills on the agents of the government in India, at ten days' sight, will be taken, on letters of credit being produced to warrant the drawing of such drafts or bills. 7. For the convenience of purchasers, the treasurer at Colombo and the different government agents of provinces will be authorized to receive cash deposits from parties intending to become purchasers, and receipts of these officers will be taken in payment of any sums due on account of the fishery. 8. No deposit will be received for a less sum than 250 rupees. 9. All communications regarding the fishery must be addressed to the government agent, Northern Province, Jaffna, Ceylon, up to the end of January, after which date they should be addressed to him at Merchikadi, by His Excellency's Command, A. M. Ashmore, Colonial Secretary. Colonial Secretary's Office, Colombo, December 16, 1904. The fishery of 1905 was of very considerable value. The temporary town of Merchikadi was larger than ever known before. The inhabitants crowded into it and were at least 10,000 more than in the previous record fishery of 1904. The numbers of oysters fished and the money obtained for the government of Ceylon were far beyond all previous records. In fact, 81,580,716 oysters were taken and the revenue alone was 167,381 pounds. In the three years 1903, 04, and 05, the revenue amounted to 293,735 pounds, quite enough to show the importance of this fishery to Ceylon. Now we may proceed to describe, first the events of inspection which led to a fishery, and secondly the fishery itself. There are numerous preparations necessary before sailing for the pearl banks. Boats have to be repaired and painted, old stores overhauled and new ones procured, and at the same time supervision given to a steamer which may serve as an oyster dredger. The place selected as the center of the pearl fishery in 1905 was, as stated above, Merch Chikadi, near the mouth of the Madrangam River. It is necessary to make an inspection of the beds of oysters, which it is proposed to fish immediately before a fishery opens, so that the inspector, or commander-in-chief of the fisheries, as we may term him, may be in a position to mark off the ground and regulate the number of boats and days allotted to particular areas. The essential features of the preparations are as follows. Three flag buoys are laid out by attendant launches in the direction of each cardinal point of the compass at distances apart of one-quarter mile, the inmost buoys taking their distance from the inspection vessel which is anchored to serve as a pivot mark in the center of the circular area to be inspected. Then four boats, usually modified whaleboats, each manned by a crew of six, together with three divers and two munducks, under the charge of an experienced coxswain, take up equidistant positions between the ship and the first flag buoy, and row slowly round the ship, retaining with wonderful accuracy their relative positions. At regular intervals, the crews rest their oars to allow the divers to make descents and bring up oysters if any are present. 
The result of each dive is reported to the coxswain of the boat, who records the condition of the bottom and oysters upon a diagram form with which he is provided. The oysters are retained in the boat for the inspector to examine. The four boats, having each made a complete circuit, are next ranged in line abreast in the same manner as before, between the quarter-mile and the half-mile buoys, and each then makes a second circuit. Lastly, there is a third series of circles, so that the four boats thus make a total of twelve concentric circles, each boat making three. The results shown upon the four coxswains' diagrams are transferred by the inspector to a final diagram or plan furnished with twelve concentric circles. When this is done, the inspector possesses a graphic diagram of the average distribution of old and young oysters, and the places where no oysters occur at all. He calculates in square yards the area occupied by oysters, and then the approximate number of oysters thereon may be estimated by taking the average number of oysters per dive, ascertained by examining the diver's results, in conjunction with the average amount of ground which a diver is credited with being able to clear at one descent. Usually this area is considered to be about three square yards, and by assuming this to be a maximum area, the danger of overestimating the number of oysters is avoided. Inspection estimates are usually less than the total number of oysters obtained at the ensuing fishery. The actual number of oysters is, however, not the main object of the fishery, the important question being the determination of the probable value of the pearls which will be obtained. It is necessary, therefore, for an official valuation to be made of the gems obtained at the inspection for the purpose of advertising the fishery. Consequently, during intervals, three large samples of oysters of fishable age are obtained, partly by means of divers and partly by dredging. The weight and the number of the pearls to each 1,000 oysters are calculated, the particular place from which the oysters are taken being noted. The next procedure is to mark out the fishing ground and to make known the meaning of the marks. The method is rather a novel one. The boundaries of the fishing ground are marked by buoys bearing red flags, while a series of white flag buoys are placed wherever fishable oysters are present. The divers are instructed to cluster their boats round the various white flags. The oyster buoys are placed according to the distribution of oysters mapped out after the inspection, but to guard against the possibility of mistake, the abundance of oysters may be verified by preliminary dives before anchoring the buoys in position. The flag system may be further improved by marking the flags individually with distinctive numbers and signs. Advertisements are then published throughout the East, especially in the vernacular, in papers reaching the Persian Gulf and the two coasts of southern India, at the instance of the Colonial Secretary's Office at Colombo. As a result of these advertisements, divers, gem buyers, speculators, moneylenders, petty merchants, and persons of very diverse occupations make speedy arrangements for attending the fishery. Indian and Singalese coolies flock by the thousands to the coast, longing to play even humble roles in the great game of chance. The Tyndalls and divers provide boats and all essential gear for the work afloat, while ashore the government supplies buildings and various forms of labor. Stories of the mushroom growth of towns, wherever gold is found, or diamonds discovered, or oil struck, have become quite commonplace. Tales of the uprising of Klondike, Coolgardie and South African cities fade beside Marachikati, the city with no foundation. Among its thousands of inhabitants are only a few hundred women who merit the right of being present through serving as water carriers to camp and fishing fleet. This place, with its unpronounceable name, is the pearl metropolis of the universe. Probably there is not a stocked jewel case that does not contain gems that have filtered through this unique city by the sea. It is a place that comes and goes like the tides ebbing and flowing. 
a sand-drifted waste lying between the jungle of the hinterland and the ocean is transformed by the open sesame of a fishery proclamation into a seething mass of working humanity in a few weeks sheltering roofs are erected and a struggle for gain is prosecuted with an earnestness that would have borne golden fruit in any city in the western world public buildings almost pretentious in size and design rise from the earth in a few days a residence for the governor of ceylon one for the government agent of the province and another for the delegate of the colonial office amongst other buildings are to be found a courthouse treasury hospital prison telegraph office and post office and a fair example of that blessing of the east known as a rest house sites on the principal streets are leased for the period of the fishery and for ten or twelve weeks marichikati is one of asia's busiest marts one would hardly think that these easterners squatting on mats in open front stalls could judge the merits of a pearl yet they can estimate the worth of a gem with a wonderful precision usually they have learned by long experience every point that a pearl can possess knows whether it be precisely spherical and has a good skin and lustre appealing to connoisseurs a metal colander or simple scale enables them to know to the fraction of a grain the weight of a pearl and experience and the trader's instinct tell them everything further that may possibly be known of a gem when fishing is at its height the scene on the banks is one of extreme animation each craft is a floating hive of competitive noise and activity all around are disappearing and reappearing seal-like heads by noon most of the divers are tired out and if it has been a successful day the boats are fairly loaded up a gun is fired from the master attendant's ship and this gives the signal for pulling up the anchors hoisting the sails and beginning the run home the men other than the tired-out divers occupy themselves nominally in picking over their oysters throwing away stones shells and other useless things and in preparing the loads for easy transport from the boats to the shore but as a matter of fact it is well known that this opportunity is seized to pick the oysters in another sense almost invariably the finest pearls occur just inside the edge of the shells and may fall out at any moment no doubt many of these round and best-coloured pearls are picked out during the run home and concealed about the persons of the boat's crew this is one reason why the government does not get its fair share of the pearls the homeward race of a hundred or so ruddy-sailed craft before a strong wind and over a tropical sea is a very pretty sight they are orientally fantastic in color and shape and each deck is crowded with men and boys with shining brown skins and brightly colored cloths wrapped round them each crew strives to get in first because first come is first served and they who first dispose of their loads are the first to be free to rest the load is counted and divided into three piles an official selects two piles for the government whilst the other is divided among the divers on their way to their houses these divers are besieged by a surging crowd of natives eager to buy from them their oysters by the dozen or by the half-dozen or even singly they may be observed stopping at boutiques and paying their score with oysters extremely acceptable to the shopkeeper itching to try his luck in a small way oysters pass current here as the equivalent of coin in the meantime those oysters belonging to the government have all been counted and at sunset a great auction begins the government agent being seated at a platform looking after the proceedings he announces how many of the oysters are for sale and puts these up by the thousand any number of thousand from one to fifty or even more are taken by individual purchasers or by syndicates the competition to fix the price of the first lot takes about a minute the prices in a single night vary considerably and inexplicably a high price say thirty-five rupees per one thousand 
may be given at the beginning of the evening, and later not more than twenty-two rupees can be extracted. There is a keen and zealous competition, the larger buyers competing against the smaller, or all combining in a ring against the government auctioneer. The day's catch is generally sold within the same night, but if not, the balance is disposed of privately the next morning. Early the next day each purchaser comes to the government agent with an order for the number of oysters knocked down to him the previous night, and sets to work to remove them to his own shed. The washing of the pearls from the oyster is a most tedious, primitive, and somewhat disgusting process. The oysters are simply left to rot, the process being much assisted by vast numbers of a species of blowfly, which after the first day or two infests the whole camp. The maggots of this fly eat their way through everything. After a week's rotting, the seething and disgusting mass is sorted by hand and the pearls, or such of them as are of sufficient size, are picked out. The residue is now ready to be washed. This is carried on in dug-out canoes or balams. The bivalves are put in and water is poured over them. As the water rises, a wriggling mass of maggots floats up from the lower recesses. The shells are rinsed and the valves are separated and rubbed to remove any detritus in which a pearl might lodge. The men scrutinize the nacreous lining for attached or shell pearls, placing any found in a special basket. After the quantity has been reduced somewhat, the floating maggots are skimmed off. Some of the water is baled out through a sieve, any material that remains therein being carefully returned to the balum, lest a pearl may be contained or entangled in the dirt. More water is then added, and the process of washing the shells is continued. Finally, after all the shells have been removed, a fresh supply of water is poured into the balum until it overflows. By this method, the lighter filth is got rid of. The remainder of the water is decanted and the heavy debris in which the pearls are mingled is exposed at the bottom. More water is added, and the detritus, or saraku, kneaded and turned over and over again. This saraku is sorted and winnowed at leisure and examined till the smallest sized pearls have been extracted. The final search is carried on by women, and it is amazing to see what a large quantity of small pearls their keen eyes and fine touch enabled them to obtain. After the pearls are picked out, it is customary to offer the apparently exhausted dirt for sale, and ready buyers can always be found. In this manner the pearls of our dainty necklaces and engagement rings are wrested from nature. The whole process is intensely interesting and picturesque, but it leaves much to think about afterwards and much to hope for. The thing has been going on in the same way for centuries, and it would continue for centuries to come if the busy western mind, so full of new ideas and plans, were not turning its attention to improving the old system. What is wanted is to make this harvest of the sea more regular in its occurrence, to economize the vast expenditure of human energy now wasted in bringing up the oyster from the depths of the sea. The pearls might be extracted from the oysters with greater rapidity and certainty. More hygienic methods should be employed and there should be more assurance that the government of Ceylon obtains its fair share of the revenue. End of chapter 6